Son and Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is the name of the Lord. said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment, but I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this short confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in his stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. speak. 
speak of your testimonies before kings, O Lord, and shall not be put to shame. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. I will speak of your testimonies before kings, O Lord and shall not be put to shame. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Glory be to God on high. Almighty and gracious Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon your faithful people, keeping us steadfast in your grace and truth, and protect and deliver us in times of temptation, 
defend us against all our enemies and grant to your church a saving grace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. The first lesson for this, the Feast of the Reformation, is written in the 14th chapter of the Apocalypse of St. John, beginning at the 6th verse. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell upon the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea, and the springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Walk about Zion, go around her and number her towers. Consider well her ramparts, go to her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. The epistle lesson for today is written in the third chapter of St. Paul's letter to the church at Rome, beginning at the 19th verse. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no man might be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hallelujah. 
the gospel is written in the 11th chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the 12th verse. Glory be to thee, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But what shall we compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Christ. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, very God of very God, begotten not made, one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeded from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Nolo Episcopari. I do not wish to become a bishop. He didn't. He didn't want to be a bishop. He just wanted to be a monk. That's it. He wanted to study God's word. He wanted to eat his vegetables. He wanted to pray, pray the hours and help the poor. That's about what he wanted to do. And yet, he came from money. He was from an ancient senatorial family in Rome. His youth was spent in a handsome palace on the Callian Hill, one of the seven hills of Rome. At his father's death, he became quite wealthy, inherited a, a large fortune, even, even in those days. And he rose rapidly in what, what, in what in Rome is called the Ordo Honorum, which is the sequence of political positions, and eventually, at age 33, was the prefect of the city, second only to the emperor in, in Constantinople in authority in Italy. But he didn't like politics, and having finished a year in office, he was apparently convinced by the condition of Italy that the ever-heralded end of the world was at hand. He used the greater part of his fortune to found seven monasteries, distributed the rest of his money to the poor, laid aside all vestiges of rank, and turned his palace into the monastery of St. Andrew and became its first monk. He subjected himself to the extreme asceticism of, of the rule, living on raw vegetables and fruits, fasted so frequently that it seemed if he fasted another day that it would kill him, and then in the year of our Lord, 586, a terrible bubonic plague 
wiped out large segments of Rome, the Roman population. And even the Pope himself died. And the people that were left had, a, had an election, because back then it wasn't the cardinals that elected the Bishop of Rome, it was the clergy and the people together. So they had a big voters meeting, essentially, and they elected him the next Holy Father. And when he found out, he was, he was shocked and horrified. He wrote a letter to the emperor in Constantinople asking him not to confirm it, because back then the emperor would confirm who the, who the pope would be in Rome as Patriarch of the West. And he, he packed his bag, a bag to flee and go into hiding. And before he could leave Rome, the prefect had him arrested, literally handcuffed and brought to the, the St. Peter's Basilica. Not the one they have now, but the, the old one. And he was consecrated the Bishop of Rome. Even though he was crying out, Nolo Episcopari, I do not wish to be the bishop. Because all he wanted to be was a monk. And a servant of the people. And a servant of God. Now he was the Pope. His name is Gregory. Gregory the Great, we call him today. In many ways, the, a lot of the reforms that he initiated back in 586, 587, were so significant that if if, they, if the church had stayed with them, there would never would have been a Martin Luther. You never would have heard of Luther. Luther maybe wouldn't even entered the monastery. Because the theology of the church would have been better. Yeah, no. Gregory was stern towards the clergy and stern towards government po political leaders. But he was very kind to the common people. He was very much in sympathy with people in distress. You know, he... He, did, he worked very hard to make sure that um, those in the clergy, he said that he, said as a, he, he lived as a pope, as a monk, as a pope. He wore the coarse robe, he ate the cheapest foods, he shared a common life with other monks. There's a story that one time a, a, a poor minstrel knocked on the gate of the palace there, not, not understanding where he was, and that Gregory himself was the one that actually answered his own door. I mean, where does that happen today? And, he, and the guy didn't even know that this was the Pope, and, and he literally brought him in and served him dinner like he was one of the servants. He made sure that every poor family in Rome had a distribution of corn, wine, cheese, vegetables, oil, fish, meat, clothing, money. Every day his agents brought cooked food to the sick and infirm. He initiated reforms. He thought that every priest should be a pastor, a shepherd of his flock, that they needed to be in their parishes. He struggled to suppress church corruption, which was already by this time a problem in many areas. He improved worship. He developed the Gregorian chant that many of us know and love. He uh, checked on exploitation on papal lands. He charged his farmers no interest when they procured, you know, seed and implements for their trade, and he sent missionaries abroad. In fact, many of us who are English speakers um, have Gregory to thank because it was his missionaries that brought Christianity back to a newly paganized England. Because the old Roman England had been overrun by, bar by pagan barbarians, and the faith was almost extinct except for some western parts of Wales and Ireland. Some of us believe in Jesus because of this man so long ago. 
when Rome was besieged by the Lombards. He helped with its defense and actually fought on the wall. But if you asked him if he wanted to be the bishop, he said, Nolo es episcopare. I do not wish to be the bishop. He just wanted to be a monk. Just like Luther. Martin Luther just wanted to be a monk, too. After that lightning struck so near him on the road to back to law school in that rainstorm, he just wanted to be a monk. He didn't want to be a reformer. He didn't want to nail a 95 Thesis on the church door to Wittenberg. He did not want to be the one that is charged erroneously with dividing the church. He didn't want any of that. But the problem is, is that since the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And we see this more in the West than we ever have. Countries that once had religious freedom now, we see clergy being put in prison and arrested for simply holding religious services. Martin Luther faced a similar problem, right? He just wanted to study theology and pray and have the life of a monk. And yet, The problem is the reforms that were started by Gregory over time became abandoned, and, and other reformers were raised up, and they too tried to bring the church back to center. But each attempt failed a little more, and each reform lasted a little less, until finally, after, you know, just a hundred years before Luther, Jan, Jan Hus of Bohemia was tried, even though he had an imperial safe conduct and was burned at the stake for heresy, simply trying to call the church back to repentance. And the same thing happened to the Italian reformer, Savonarola. And after Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the castle church door in Wittenberg in 1517, at All Hallows' Eve, he didn't do that because he wanted the church divided. He simply thought, as Christians, we should discuss some things that maybe we have departed from the faith on. But instead of responding with a desire for, for honest debate, so that we might as brothers in Christ peacefully consult the scriptures and obey God's word, Luther was the first, was first tried, they tried to buy him off. A lot of people don't, don't know this, but they, they offered Luther a cardinal's hat if he would simply shut up and go away. But you see, for Luther, it was more important that people know that they are saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. It was more important to him that you and I know the gospel and receive correctly the sacraments than for his life or career to go forward and be safe. And how rare is that in history? How many of our world leaders today behave this way? Where they care more about you than they do themselves and their own enrichment? Not many. Maybe there are some, I don't know, maybe. Yes, he was excommunicated by the, and then by the emperor declared an outlaw, and anybody who find him could put him to death. And yet Luther never gave in 
and he never recanted. And after his death, many people do not know this, but the Holy Roman Emperor came to Germany with a Spanish Habsburg army and conquered the Lutheran lands. They were defeated in war. It's called the Smalcald War. And they actually captured Wittenberg and they threatened to, to exhume Luther's corpse and burn it at the stake for heresy. Because from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Uh, but he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do we have ears to hear? I mean, a lot of us have ears. But do we have ears that can hear? Or rather, want to hear? You see, the problem is, it's not that we don't have ears. The problem is we don't want our ears to hear. You know? I mean, we're on the cusp, maybe, of a third world war. People don't understand what that means. You know, during the Second World War, there was a man, he was a, he was a Christian man, and he had money. And he, he was able to buy himself a colonel's commission in the Solstaffel, the, the, the SS. And he did it for the express, express purpose of finding out what was going on in Poland. Because he had heard rumors of camps for Jews and other undesirables. And so he went, and he went, and, and he, he got, he, he amassed a, a whole stack of information and he went to the Archbishop Cardinal in Berlin and he laid it on the guy's desk and he said, they're gassing Jews in Dublin. Use the interdict. And you know what the Archbishop did? He didn't even look at the material. He just walked out of the room. He said, I do not desire to see what you have given me. He did not have ears to hear. Because from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. You see, what we don't understand is in the Greek, this sounds like a question, but the reality is it is in, it is in the imperative that Christ is warning us that we are to hear what he has to say. We are to, we are to hear it and understand it and pay attention to it and discern it. Because if we do not heed his word, the consequences for us will be eternal. And he doesn't want those consequences for us because God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but rather that the wicked man repented his evil way and lived. And that's why Jesus went on to say in our gospel lesson this day, he said, what shall I like in this generation? It's like children. They sit in the marketplace. They call to their companions. We played the flute for you, and you would not dance. We, we, mourn, we, we played the, a dirge, and you would not mourn. In other words, when John the Baptist came not neither eating nor drinking, they said he had a demon. And when the Son of Man came eating and drinking, they said that he was a drunk. A glutton, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, when he says, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance, we mourned and you did not lament, 
You know, when he's saying that you rejected John the Baptist because he, he said he had a demon and Jesus because he thought he was a drunk and a, and a, a guy that ate too much, a friend of undesirables. What he's really saying here is the problem, the reason why not everybody is in church, the reason why not everybody cares about God and his truth is because they don't want to. It doesn't matter. I could have a rock band up here and people wouldn't come. I could do whatever you want and you wouldn't come. Some of you. Some of us. It's because you can't convince somebody who is not interested in hearing it. Just like that archbishop. He didn't want to hear it. And a lot of us don't want to hear it. We're not interested in it. We make excuses. Oh, he has a demon. Oh, he's a drunk. He hangs out with people I don't like. Right? Me at church at 7.30. Well, it's too early. It's my day off. If you haven't even had it at noon, it's too late because it'll ruin my day. It's an excuse. You see, but the, the, but the problem with our excuses to, to God is he understands what they are. He perceives correctly that we are simply lying to ourselves. Not even to those around us. Everybody around us sees the excuse too. They get it. God gets it. The only one we are deceiving is ourselves. It's like when, when, when St. John wrote, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not within us. Right? I mean, we're just deceiving ourselves. And we love our self-deceptions, do we not? I mean, we love them. We nurture them. Right? People say to me all the time, through the last 25 years I've been a pastor, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to church, Pastor. But I see him at the doctor and at the bank, and I see him at the grocery store, and I see him at the liquor store. Seem to be able to make that just fine. Because those lottery tickets are important. I understand that for some people. And so is the liquor, and so is the, so is the food, and so is the doctor. But for some reason, the bread of heaven and the forgiveness of sins and the, real, and the presence of Jesus Christ here in this place to give us eternal life, it's just not a priority. And that's what Jesus means by wisdom is justified by her children. What he means by that, what Jesus is saying by that, is, is this. That despite the poor response of the people to the works of God in Jesus, it is still plain to all of us. We still understand correctly what it is. We just don't care. See, what people don't read this whole chapter, if you look at Matthew 11, 11, 11 2 to 6, Jesus answers St. John's disciples, because John's already in prison, and he sent his disciples to find out who Jesus was. And what does Jesus tell John's disciples? Go tell John what you see, what you hear. Right? He said, the blind see, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached unto them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And this word for offended because of me does not mean, oh, you said something, you hurt my feelings. No, it's the word scandal on in the Greek. It means literally to lose your faith and go to hell. Stumble into hell through unbelief. I mean, I wrote part of my master's thesis on that word, honestly. That's what it means to be, that's where scandal, the word scandal comes from. It doesn't mean just like you did something 
everybody's going, ooh, look at me, Dave. It's not like that at all. It's much, much darker and more serious a word. See, what God is saying, in other words, is he's giving us an example of the evidence of his loving existence for us. He shows us how he comes to us first in his creation, right? Like, that's what Romans 1 talks about, how, how the, the works of God are clearly discerned. You know, we, we can't really say and be honest with ourselves or God that we don't know there's God. You know, Bertrand Russell and all these other atheists, you know, of, of history are, are all lying to themselves and, other, and, and each other when they say, well, God didn't give me enough evidence. Well, no, he did. He did, Bert, Lord Russell. Did you see God in the sunrise and in the flowers and the good things and the full moon and everything else? You see him. And you discern him. We do. We just lie to ourselves that we don't. And then finally, God reveals his love for us specifically through the Holy Scriptures. Right? Where he shows us how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thus, if we still believe this day, or still disbelieve that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, that's our fault, not God's fault, not God's wisdom's fault. Because wisdom here, you know, is... is is representing Jesus Christ and his, his words. Right? It's not Jesus that's to blame. No, the blame lies with us. Each one of us. Who do not want to hear. Doesn't lie with God's wisdom. If God's wisdom were put on trial right now with the crime of not stirring Israel and, and us by extension to faith, she, God's wisdom, would be acquitted. The church would be acquitted. Her works, that is Jesus' works, exonerate her by bearing testimony to her labor for others. Her labors for us. Right? Because it is through his, the very words we hear today from the gospel and God's sacramental gifts that God so freely offers us forgiveness and eternal life. In the name of Jesus, amen.
see this list as soon as I know in the future the holy word and then we'll work through this week by then. today. It's good to see all of you here. Please note the blue news uh, for this week. I'm sorry I hit the pulpit really hard. I didn't realize uh, I hit that hard. So I hope I didn't shock you out of your, if you were having a good nap or something during the sermon. I hope I didn't wake you up too, too bad. Um, but uh, notice that we have, for this week we have a normal schedule pretty much except for today at uh, 1600 or 4 in the afternoon we are going to have a trunk or treat. Um, and uh, that our youth leaders uh, are putting on, that Ramos is are, are, are leading the project. So um, if you want to be part of that, you have time after we're done here at Second Service to go and, and prepare a trunk with some treats and be back here. What do you think about, when's the setup going to be? Uh, I mean, about 3.30, 3? About 3-ish. Okay, and there'll be games and snacks. and It's always really fun. You don't have to do a trunk to show up, but, but it, it's always fun to have a trunk. And... Uh, and, and this is open to the community. Bring friends, neighbors, your enemies, anybody. It's all good. And uh, and then normal schedule for the week: Wednesday, catechism, Compline. You know, Thursday there's going to be a swaddling clothes a work day, and then Friday early bird Bible study, and then Saturday swaddling clothes because it's going to be the first uh, Saturday of the month. So all those things are great. And if you have any questions on any of them, you can reach out to us in the office. Uh, also, we have some prayer requests today. One is. Um, Susan Pacey asked that we pray for Craig Jackson. That's Pastor Jack's son, one of his sons, and he was injured. Uh, he got a broken leg in a bunch of places and uh, also had some other um, issues with his shoulder. So uh, and it's going to take months to get better, they're saying. So we're going to pray for uh, Craig Jackson. Uh, Pastor Jack was my predecessor here um, before I received the call here. Jack was the one preceding me. And he was a very good pastor. And then uh, also um, Sam Tryon asked that we pray for um, Anna Nixon, a classmate um, who is um, whose mother um, passed away. He died unexpectedly this week, and uh, or last week. Is that right, Sam? Okay, so we'll pray for the Nixon family as they mourn um, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Faith Nixon, and. Um, we will do that, Sam. And then uh, Aaron Bird asked that we pray for uh, Danny Spear and Tara Skipper. Both uh, both have cancer and they're going through treatment, so we'll pray for them as well. And then um, also the Ulrich's family asked that we pray for their son, Ryan, who has surgery this Thursday. Where's that going to be at, by the way? Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Let us pray to the Lord. For the peace that is from above and for the well-being of the churches of Christ and the godly unity of all Christendom, let us pray to the Lord. 
for this holy house and for those who in faith, piety and the fear of God, offer you their worship and praise. Let us pray to the Lord. For Matthew and uh, Eric, our shepherds and bishops in Christ, for all pastors and teachers and all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our nation and our president and all our people, for our Congress, our governor and our legislature and all judges and magistrates and all others who serve in places of public office, let us pray to the Lord. For the sick and the sorrowing, for those who mourn, for those who are in need and distress, especially we pray this, this day, Lord, for um, Alice, for Becca, for Joyce, for Mary, for Mark, for Eddie, for Norma, for Kim and Suzette, for Sugar and Brooke, for Janice and Taylor, Melissa and Tara, Melissa and Bonnie, for Gray and Bob, Martha and Meredith, James and George, Larry Dean and Earl, Suzette and Bob, Mallory and Mark, Hank and Jay, for Tracy and Michelle, Carl and Karen, Jimmy and Tina and Ainsley and Kevin, Ron and Jesse, Ralph and Theo, Easton, Waylon and Ryan. We also pray for the families of our parish who mourn, especially the Tatum and Rogers family, the Faust and Callie's family, the Todd family, the Bolton and Grice family, the Heil family, the Blunt family, and the Davis family. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for those to whom in our armed forces, especially Riley, Paul, Hayden, and Paul. And we pray for all of our university students, including Minnie, Aiden, Jacob, Kelsey, and Mia. We pray also this day for those to whom death is drawing near and for us all, that when our last hour shall come, we may depart this life in the confidence of the sure faith, the consolation of a right, devout, and holy hope, and in the communion of Christ's holy church. Let us pray to the Lord. Recalling those who have gone before us in the faith and rejoicing to share with them the Sabbath rest which Christ has won for his people, that together with them we may be found faithful in the day of judgment and rejoice in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Let us pray to the Lord. Pray especially this day for, for Craig and for Danny and Tara and also uh, for Ryan. Look down, Heavenly Father, upon Craig and Donna, Tara and, and Ryan, for whom we offer up our supplications. Look upon them with the eyes of thy mercy and give them comfort and sure confidence in thee. Defend them from the dangers of the enemy and keep them in perpetual safety and peace. Through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. And also, we pray for all of those who mourn the death of um, Faith Nixon. Lord God, Heavenly Father, your, we pray for all upon, that you would have compassion, O Lord, upon all who mourn the death of Faith Nixon, upon all those who are lonely and desolate because of her death. Be thou their comforter and friend, Lord. Give unto them such earthly solace as thou seekest to be best for them, and bring them to a full knowledge of thy love, and wipe away all their tears. For the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.